0: Thank you for joining us to hear today's message. At Faith Assembly, our passion and purpose is loving people to life in Christ. To find out more information, visit our website, faithnewcumberland.com. We believe, we know that Christ has always been. And and so when when I use some of this terminology is just, we kind of understand before christ just like dates bc you know bc before christ well christ always was he was since the foundations of the world but before his 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 moment before as galatians says his time his, that epic time when he was to come and to appear and bring that that messiahship that anointing presence of what god was doing so before christ there was a season there was a stage of god's presence that looks very different than it looks today so let's look at some of that this morning if you're with me buckle up get ready buttercup huh turn your neighbor and say get ready. Get, ready. get ready don't fall asleep turn your neighbor and say don't, fall asleep. don't fall, asleep. fall asleep you can fall asleep after turn your neighbor and say you can fall asleep with the movie tonight no. I'll be sleeping in the- <laughs> I said do you realize the movie's gonna start at like 8:45? I think I'll be sleeping so I'm bringing my jammies tonight and when I was bringing their sleeping bag and I, that's all right. You're going to hear me snore tonight. That's okay. We're going to have fun. Number one, before Christ, God's presence dwelled among God's people. If you're taking notes, you can fill in the blanks. God's presence dwelled among God's people. If you go back to the very beginning, very beginning, the book of Genesis, we see Adam and Eve walking in the garden with God's presence. They were had a very close union, intimacy, fellowship with God and with his presence. But what happened? They sinned. They rebelled. They disobeyed. They did what we would have done. I know we've talked about this many times. We judge them like, how, how could they do that? But if we we're in the same position, we would have done the same exact thing. that's why that curse is upon all of humanity and so they rebelled they disobeyed and so they were separated from God's presence and the question then became how how could God's presence dwell with a sinful humanity in Genesis chapter 3 verse 8 it says this this is after they disobeyed God in the garden. It says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, just like they had always done, right? And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Something took place, and the, the, their relationship with God's presence changed all of a sudden. It wasn't just a fruit. It wasn't just an action. It was a, it was a change, with a relationship with God and his presence. And that was a dilemma. Okay, how do we how do we resolve this? What's going to take place now that God's people can't dwell in his presence? And then we we fast forward to the next chapter, chapter 4, we see Cain and Abel and Cain what does he do? He does what every good brother does. He kills his other brother, right? Our kids fight today or they, they get, you know, it's like, you well, know, it's just, you know, kind of human nature and to get at your siblings and we try to calm them. And so give your kids a little break. I'm sure they haven't killed their brother or sister yet. So but Cain did, Cain got so upset at his brother, he clubbed him and he, he left him for dead. And it says here in Genesis chapter four, it says, today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. Do you know, literally, the word for presence is his face. It means a face of God. It's that, it's that idea that not just being with him or seeing him, but it's it's experiencing God for who he is, his presence, his face. And it says, I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And so it says in verse 16 of chapter 4 in Genesis, so Cain went out from the Lord's Presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden, outside of the garden. Cain's sin separated him from God's presence. It says in the Bible, in the New Testament, all have sinned, all have fallen short of God's glory, and all are deserving of the wrath of God. But we will get to the good news that because Jesus came we can dwell in his presence isn't that good news today so God had a, there was a dilemma on the scene as we we're reading the Bible we're like well, how's this going to take place Adam and Eve were in the garden they were in his presence and all of a sudden they're separated they're kicked out of the garden and then we see that God begins to set up this temporary solution to his this presence dilemma And it was to create a system, a a sacred system with sacred sacrifices and sacred places and sacred possessions and sacred spaces whereby God's people could dwell among God's presence. So God instructs Moses in the book of Exodus, if he turned to Exodus 25, he instructs him to build a special place this portable place called a tabernacle or a sanctuary where they would go as they wandered in the wilderness and they would stop and they would set this this elaborate tabernacle up in the middle of the desert and God's presence would dwell among his people it says this in Exodus chapter 25 verses 8 and 9 then, Have them, God said to Moses, make a sanctuary for me or a tabernacle for me, and I will dwell among them. Go ahead and underline them. I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. And if you read Exodus 25 Through 31, you'll see the specific instructions on how they were to build this tabernacle, what it was to be, and it was very, very, very specific. And we don't have time today, but you can read the book of Hebrews and see how God is... His telling the people hey this was a shadow this was a type this was a something that was pointing to something to come that in in God's presence in heaven this was like a shadow of what God was doing in heaven and what he's doing in through Christ and so we're going to look at a few of those details we don't have time to go through all that this morning but maybe we'll do another study because I've always wanted to do a, a, a special study on the tabernacle and all that so there's there's so much to that book you can read Exodus 25, 31 and see the specific instructions for God's people. But people had very limited access to God's presence. So God's presence by his grace, by his mercy, dwelt among his people, but they had very limited access to that. If you, Exodus 24, verse 1, this kind of sums up that system and how they related to God's presence. Exodus 24.1 says this, you are to worship at a distance. You are to worship at a distance. It would kind of be like if you pulled up today in your car and you had your nice church clothes on and, and you came and you went to the door and all of a sudden the door was locked. And the pastor had, you know, I guess I'm the pastor, so I, I'm not gonna speak in the third person. So I, I open the window and say, "Thank you for coming today. Uh, you can stay in the parking lot. We're gonna worship in here, and you just, you just experience God's presence in the parking lot. How, how many would like that today, huh? No, that wouldn't, that wouldn't be very interactive or very experiential and. So th- that's kind of a simple way to, to, to understand what was taking place in the wilderness. They, they set up this tabernacle and it was like this elaborate system, but they couldn't go in. You know, only certain, the, the Levites could go in, the certain clan, the certain tribe could go in. And they, they were the priests and they, t- they did the sacrifices and they, they did all this. So the people camped around the tabernacle and the priests camped closest to the tabernacle. Go ahead and show this picture. I think it's on the next slide. I hope it is. This is what the camp looked like. Right in the middle that yellow rectangle was the tabernacle. And that white space around it was the Levitical priesthood. They camped around the tabernacle. And then you see in the, to the north, uh, so the western side is, is Ephraim, the tribe of Ephraim. And, and it says about 108,000. And you see the proportions here. And, and if you go south of that is Judah, and it's the largest, it's 186,000. And what shape is the camp of Israel in? In a cross shape. Do you think that was intentional or just a mistake? I think God had a design to that. He, he says there's a type, there's a shadow, there's a foreshadowing of what I did in the Old Testament. God's doing a, a new thing through the new covenant, through his shed blood on the cross, that he would provide access into his presence, whereby God's people didn't have to be among God's presence, but God's presence could be in God's people. So the people camped around the tabernacle and they would go to the gate but they couldn't get into his presence. Only one special priest, only one special day per year could go into the holiest place of his presence. And if he did something wrong, he would be struck dead and there'd be special bells and they would hear those bells stop and they would just yank him out by a rope. How many would like that today, huh? (laughs) Pastor, you just put the bells on and tell us when God, you know, like, no, thank you. Moses had special, limited access to God's presence. Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34, starting with verse 29. Moses had this special tent of meeting that he would go and he would experience God's presence. He would meet with the Lord. And, and I love what it says. It's, um, it says here, and uh, I'll skip uh, earlier, Genesis, or, um, Exodus 33, verse 11. It says, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. But his young aide, Joshua... Did not leave the tent. I love that. talking about mentoring and raising up the next generation. Moses brought Joshua into, his, into the presence, the special presence of God and he would meet with him face to face and Joshua was an eyewitness. and who was to take over for, for Moses? It was Joshua, right? And he knew the, that God's presence and God's power and he knew he knew the answer and so when God said, "I'm going to lead you out, don't be afraid, I am always." with you and joshua was, all right you're with moses i knew your presence and i can do this by your help so skipping forward to or exodus chapter 34 starting with verse 29 when moses came down from mount sinai with two tablets of the testimony of it in his hands he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spit he had spoken with the lord He came down from the mountain. His face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses. His face was radiant, and they were so excited. No, they were so afraid. They said, cover up, Moses. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders in the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. Afterwards, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given them on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a what over his face? A veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the lord there was a veil of separation right there was a this radiant glory that he had to cover because the people were afraid of god's presence because why they 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 had to worship at a distance god's presence is something to be scared of and i'm not holy and god is and well let's just keep at arm's length and that was their relationship with his presence there was a veil separating them from god's presence before christ God's presence dwelled among God's people. Number two this morning, with Christ, God's presence dwelled with God's people. When Jesus was born of a virgin, they said his name will be Emmanuel. And what does Emmanuel mean? God with us, not God among us, God with us. And so when we read about Jesus coming and ministering, we see the presence of God with his people. There wasn't a distance anymore. They could touch him, and he, he even spit on some you know mud and put it on some eyes, and he he ministered to people in a personal way. And John just just kind of summarizes what Jesus did. And he says this in John chapter one, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning through him. All things were made without him. Nothing was made that has been made in him was life. And that life was a light of men. his, what word is that? His tabernacle. His, right. he, he, it literally means God pitched his tent among his right. people. In the Old Testament, God's people pitched his, their tents around God's presence. In the New Testament, God says, I'm going to come and I'm going to pitch my tent right in your presence. Right among you. Right with you. God's presence came to camp out redneck style with God's people. Huh? We're in Pennsylvania. This is camp out trailer territory. You anybody have a camper? You know, RV, I'm Mike and Carol, they got the RV, they love to travel. It's like it's like Jesus loaded up his RV and said, I'm coming to earth and I'm camping out with my peeps. Maybe he didn't say peeps, but his people. Peeps make me think of Easter. Anybody else? And then all of a sudden you got hungry, but all of a sudden, like, wait. Peeps. That's right. I think it's, yes. But the word became flesh and made his dwelling. He pitched a tent. He tabernacled with his. It says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and true truth. Jesus came to reunite God's people with God's presence. But during that time, God's presence was with God's people, but they still had the temple, right? There was the tabernacle was a portable system and a portable way of having God's presence and they got really sophisticated and really rich and they said we're going to build God a permanent Sanctuary. We're going to build them a real temple. And so they built this wonderful temple, and that temple got destroyed. And so they rebuilt that temple, and they built this big, elaborate, permanent structure where they could minister at in, in an in a arm's distance with God's presence, right? But when Jesus died on the cross, he made that old temple system obsolete and unnecessary because he opened full access into his presence for his people through his sacrifice. Matthew 27 says it this way. It says, when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The curtain, the veil, of separation was torn into. Go ahead and uh, take a look at this video describing the tabernacle, the temple, and the tearing of the veil. It's the last video on the uh, pro-present of their army.
1: We're going to start off with the nation of Israel with this aerial view uh, in the Sinai Desert. And we're going to zoom in, and as we zoom in, you're going to see millions of tents that now make up the grand nation of Israel that God has built and developed. And as it zooms in, you're going to see in the center of their community is the presence of God or the tabernacle. And that's the same way it should be in our lives, in the center of our families, in the center of our church, in the center of our lives should be the presence of God. And as we zoom in a little closer, you can see that there is the tabernacle, and around it is this thing called the outer court. It is here that the people of Israel would enter into the outer court, and they would bring their sacrifices like lambs to the priest to be offered up for the forgiveness of sin. Now, what I wanna do is I wanna lift up if, uh, the, the side of the tabernacle and show you two rooms inside of the tabernacle. Here on the right is a place called the holy place. It is here that the high priest and the priests would do their work. No one else was allowed to enter. They would bake bread, and they would burn incense, and an amazing aroma would come out of this room. It is here that they did their work. Now, off to the left, we have the most holy place, or a room that we often call the Holy of Holies. It is here, with the Ark of the Covenant, that God's presence resided a room only 15 feet by 15 feet, the size of a a modest bedroom. But it was here that the presence of God resided. And it was only the opportunity of the high priest once a year and only the high priest to enter behind this room into the presence of God to offer up a sacrifice for the forgiveness of sin of all the people of Israel. The Hebrews called it Yom Kippur. We call it the Day of Atonement. Now, let me uh, peek in a little bit closer to this. Um, how this room is divided. This room is divided by a grand curtain. Let me tell you a few things about the curtain. First of all, it was very thick, made of animal skin, impossible to tear. Number two, God instructed Moses that this curtain should be made of the colors blue, purple, and scarlet. Now, let me uh, zoom in a little closer and see if you can see this. You will see that there is uh, was, was this cherubim that God instructed Moses to embroider into the curtain. Yes, the same cherubim that stood at the entrance of the Garden of Eden, preventing people from entering into the Garden, now symbolically are on this curtain, preventing people from entering into the Holy of Holies or the presence of God. Now let's fast forward to the time of Jesus Christ. The tabernacle, this mobile tent of curtains, is replaced by a thing called the temple, a solid and grand structure of stone. I'm going to take you now into the uh, temple. And now we're in the temple in the room of the holy place. This is how it would actually look. And I'm going to zoom around and we're going to come to that curtain and how it looked at the time of Jesus in the New Testament. Now I'm going to scroll up the curtain, and I want you to see this incredible work of art that stood as a barrier between the presence of God and the people. It is still 15 feet wide, but it is 42 feet high, standing there declaring no one is allowed to enter. Now let's go to the day that Jesus hung on the cross. Listen carefully. Matthew chapter 27 Verses 50 and 51 says, And when Jesus had cried out again, in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, we know that this curtain being torn in two from top to bottom was no act of man. It was thick and impossible to tear, but it was torn from the top to the bottom, 42 feet high. Even David Robinson couldn't reach that. (laughs) This was an act of God. The question is, what does it mean? What does the curtain have to do with the death of Jesus? Hebrews chapter 10 verses 19 and 20 tells us, listen to this, that Jesus... Is the curtain. This passage of scripture tells us that all along the curtain was there standing as a symbol of what was to come in Jesus Christ. The only way to gain access to God the Father in the Old Testament was through the curtain. And now we learn in the New Testament that the only way to gain access through God is through Jesus Christ. John chapter 14 and verse 6 makes more sense now when Jesus said, I am the way. The truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now it makes sense that the curtain that was first hung 1470 years ago was made of purple and of scarlet. Purple representing the royalty of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. And scarlet representing the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood that would flow down the curtain, the blood that would flow down the body of Christ on that day when it was torn or it was pierced by the Roman soldier to open up a way for us to come to God. It means that Christ paid the price for our sins. And the barrier has been destroyed. Or as the writer of Hebrews says over and over again, the curtain has been removed once and for all. It means that the presence of God has been released from this little 15 by 15 room. But the question you should be asking is, where did he go? As we read through the New Testament, we see that God wants to establish his new dwelling place. Listen to this. God wants to establish his new dwelling place after the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, not in a tabernacle made with curtains, not in a tent made with stone, but he wants to make his new temple in me and in you.
0: Number three, in Christ, God's presence dwells in God's people. Paul reminds us as he writes these words in 1 Corinthians three, sixteen. Do you not know that you are the temple of God? And that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now think about those that first audience that heard that and they remember they they hear the stories of the tabernacle and they've been into the temple and, and they've they've actually they haven't been into the temple, but they've they've experienced all that temple sacrificial system. And all of a sudden, the Apostle Paul says, you are God's temple. God's presence now dwells in you. He says in 1 Corinthians six nineteen, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. He says again in 2 Corinthians 6, chapter 6, Verse 16. For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And then if you skip over to Second Corinthians chapter 3. Starting with verse 7. And just remember. Before we read that, remember Moses with the veil covering and uncovering and separating, and says here in second Corinthians chapter three, starting verse seven. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was. Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which last therefore since we have such a hope we are very bold we are not like moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away but their minds were made dull for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read it has not been removed because only in christ is it taken away there's people that can read the bible and they can hear the bible but until the Holy Spirit begins to do that work and remove those blinders off their spiritual eyes, they they can't see. They just think, oh, that's just that's just foolishness to them. The cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Even to this day, it says in verse 15, when Moses' red a veil covers their hearts, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, and we, verse 18. Who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. Have you ever had someone say, what is different about you? There's something different about your family. There's something different, you know, they just can't, they can't put their finger on it. It's God's presence, his spirit with us. Not that we're perfect and make every decision perfectly, but God's spirit, by his grace, by his mercy, dwells in our hearts and in our lives. God's called you to be a person of his presence. God's called you to reflect his presence in all you say and do. God's called you to make a difference in this world empowered by and guided by by his presence as we gather to worship in his presence we come carrying his presence with us so it's now I can't wait to get the church to get in his presence man I can't wait God's presence is with you at home God's presence is with you in the car have you ever had a powerful experience with God driving down the road or in the shower you know, early in the morning when no one's around and you're just singing and you just sense his presence is with you. And then there's something special when we gather corporately to worship together. So the book of Hebrews, it begins to say that, uh, you know, it speaks of the tabernacle and this. And and then it says, don't forsake gathering together. You know, your pre- his presence is with you. Come and gather with one another. Worship together. Read his His word together. Learn together. Grow together. Because some people today will say, oh, I got God's presence with me. I'll just stay at home and, and watch watch uh, church at home and do things on my own and do my own thing. And you can, you know, but it's not the same as being together with his people and right. worshiping together and fellowshipping together and learning together and, praying together. So the question for us is, will we clear the stage of our lives for his presence? Will we allow his presence to be more than just a one day a week thing? Well, man, Sunday's coming and I'm gonna get, I'm gonna do my church thing and how about Monday? Will we get in his presence, knowing his presence is with us at work? at home, at our, that soccer game, that football game, in that conversation with our friend, God's presence is with you. His glory is being reflected through you. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me this morning? What a gift that he's given us of his grace. We don't earn it. None of us are good enough to be in his presence. If we're honest, we say, man, that's that's the last place I, I belong is in his presence. But Jesus came to make it possible that we could not just be among his presence, not just be at arm's distance from his presence, but that his presence would come and would live in us, changing us, empowering us, Jesus said, it's good that I go away because I'm going to send my presence to be with you, my spirit to be with you, to minister to you and through you. Some people might say, well, why did Jesus have to go away? Well, Jesus is right there with us. His presence, his spirit is with us, with every believer if you have repented of your sins and confessed Jesus as Lord, his spirit comes and dwells within us. And so today, if you say, no, I, I, would, I want God's presence in my life. Maybe you feel at a distance. You feel like God's presence has been a religious ritual for you. You've gone through the motions and you felt it at an arm's distance. But today you want to sense the spirit of God come and fill. Him in today. Maybe there's some unconfessed sin in your life. Say, Jesus, I, I just, I admit my wrongs. I acknowledge my need for you, Jesus. I turn away from my sin today. Lord, I believe that veil was torn so I could have access will come.